This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions here on the Theology Corner Podcast Network. I am Stephen Long. So for this week, I have a really fantastic guest. This also might be the episode that gets me kicked off of my Christian network. But if so, that's okay. (laughs) That's on me. My network, Theology Corner, they knew what they were getting themselves into when they brought on this fabulous, foul-mouthed heretic of a queen. So today I'm interviewing Greg Stevens. He is a spokesperson from the Satanic Temple. So today we're going to talk about Satanism. We're going to talk about the Satanic Temple and the core tenets of belief for the Satanic Temple. Temple. If you've ever wondered about Satanism and, you know, what these child-sacrificing deviants are doing behind oh, closed okay. doors, well, now you get to hear a real-life Satanist. Also, full disclosure, I am a member of the Satanic Temple. I am a fan of the Satanic Temple. I think they do great work. So, Greg, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, before we get started here, explain your position within the temple. What do you do in the temple? So, I'm a member of the National Council, and what that sort of entails is taking uh, some of the organizational stuff at the national level, uh, coordinating among different local and state chapters that we have, organizing uh, events or campaigns since we're a politically active organization, coordinating between different regions whenever we have a national campaign going on. Other than that, I also am a just a member of the local Dallas chapter. I live here in Dallas and I've been a member of the Satanic Temple for, oh, see now I have to think back, time flies, for I think about three years now. Wonderful. May I also bring up that you're one of the moderators of the Satanic Temple Facebook group? Absolutely. Now, in sort of the, in theory, the group is moderated by the National Council and we do it kind of collectively as a whole, but I am one of the more active and vocal uh, people participating in that group. And so I know the perception ends up being that I am you know, the one of the main moderators. Um, but yeah, no, I just happen to be one of the ones that's on social media a lot. You you are the, the papa of the uh, <laughs> uh, Satanists uh. on Facebook, um, which, by the way, I have to say, I have to give that group credit. I'm a member of the discussion group for the Satanic Temple on Facebook. It is one of the most well-behaved, courteous places and emotionally intelligent places I've ever been on the internet. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, it, 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 it's gone through a few different phases and, uh, you know, gone through a few different moderating groups. And one of the things that, you know, we, we're trying to always balance, especially in a group of Satanists, which even if you know nothing about Satanism, you've got to imagine is people who are interested in being in going against the grain and people who are interested in being individualists. And so, you know, we want to we want to be able to foster a little bit of that while at the same time, you know, making sure that we can hold to some standards so that it doesn't go down the 
sort of path that a lot of un, you know a lot of groups go down if it's just becoming a lot of bickering or a lot of repetitive people yelling at each other i don't think that serves any particular greater purpose to have that yeah absolutely no i've been just so incredibly impressed especially when compared to all of the christian groups that i've been in which almost instantly devolve into you know like protestant infighting the the satanic temple official discussion forum has just blown my mind with how courteous and sometimes heated but still present and polite and it's it's just been an incredibly impressive experience so i i don't know you you probably have a guillotine that you take people to when they misbehave and that's why everyone is so well behaved on that forum but whatever you're doing and the whatever the council is doing kudos it's very impressive and it's a very it's a really great group of people so i collected some questions from twitter before doing this interview fantastic uh, yeah you know i i normally say i i normally you know add people's names for the you know when they ask questions i'm not going to do that this time because to quote thumper if you can't say something nice about someone don't say anything at all and so i'm going to keep these people anonymous but they kind of address first and foremost the central questions that people may have about satanism and and particular the satanic temple so let me pull pull these up here one listener asks what is the appeal of engaging in that kind of worship what would it take to follow after christ what is real love to you wow well i mean you, can, I you can skip that if you want to there are there are no, others that we say, can... like there's a lot going on there right i mean it, it is it is three pretty distinct questions so uh, I guess maybe we'll just go one at a time. The first one, uh, so yeah, help me out. What was the first one? Okay, so the first one is what is the appeal of engaging in that kind of worship? But that question is predicated on the idea that you believe that Satan is a literal spiritual being, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it seems to be a question. I mean, it's hard to tell because language is ambiguous. So what does that particular listener mean by the word worship? I think that if you take the idea of worship in the way that is most commonly used by a lot of people who follow theistic religions, religions in which there is a belief in the supernatural and specifically belief in a sort of all-powerful divine being, the idea of worship takes on a certain sort of connotation that we simply don't have as Satanists and as members of the Satanic Temple. Because uh, the Satanic Temple, well, Satanism in general, uh, modern Satanism, I should say, is an atheistic religion. And of course, you know, language is a human endeavor and people use words differently. So you will come across those people who use the word Satanism to mean other things. But I would say most of the people you'll find in the modern age who identify as Satanists are talking about the modern sense of atheistic Satanism where there's no belief in anything supernatural, there's no belief in God or Satan or heaven or hell or souls or pixies or unicorns. And instead, the reason, you know, that we invoke the name of Satan is more as a reference to the literary figure, the fictional character that everybody is so familiar with. And it's because of that familiarity that we know we can sort of tap into a particular kind of archetype that people are familiar with, the one who rebelled against authority, 
right? The one who refused to submit and wanted to follow his own path and his own discovery. The one who offered up knowledge instead of obedience in the Garden of Eden, right? And so all of these things which we consider to be completely fictional stories about a completely fictional character are nonetheless things that can be symbolic and that we can derive inspiration from. So we don't actually worship in the sense that many theistic Christians use the term worship, any sort of Satan or any anything, really. Now, for the, for the sake of getting a little nuance in there, I will say that I have some friends who are more progressive Christians, who are in denominations of Christianity like, for example, American Baptists, who are Unitarians, who will take a slightly different view of what worship means, and they're a little bit more progressively, and they'll say that worship is anything that is uh, looking to the universe with an attitude of wonder. They will say that worship is anything that is activism to bring forth what you think is good in the world. And if that is what this listener meant by worship, then absolutely I worship, but my worship is activism to find ways to help humanity help itself, activism to try to find ways to bring society, uh, to lift society up and to help people. And as a member of an atheist religion, to me, that's what activism means. And if you're asking me, what does it take to get me to want to do that kind of activism? Well, in that context, it's a little bit self-evident. I want to help people. Right. That is a fantastic answer. So really what you're doing is hearkening back to Satan as a literary figure, as a literary icon representing rebellion against undue authority that oppresses the freedom of thought and inquiry that keeps Adam and Eve in a totalitarian garden. The idea of Lucifer actually being the more sympathetic character in Paradise Lost. Uh, you know, when you read Paradise Lost, he really does kind of come across as the more sympathetic character. And so would you say that many Satanists experienced the undue oppression? I mean, what oppression is ever due, really? But would you say that many Satanists are Satanists because they it, they are guided by a deep sense of morality, that they see oppression as wrong, and they identify with the character of Satan because they themselves have lived through oppression against women, oppression against minorities, oppression against the LGBTQ community, most often from the religious powers in the Western world. And that is what leads a lot of people to Satanism. So I think I think you're right about that. Uh, Satanism definitely has a particular draw for uh, people who come from uh, marginalized groups. And I think that's at least partially because the narrative of Satan as a literary figure, as a mythological character, is the outsider narrative, right? It yes. is the ultimate narrative of the one who was not accepted, who didn't feel comfortable being part of what he was told is 
what you need to do to get along and be one of the rest of the angels, you know, um, yes. what you needed to do to be part of the in crowd. And so I think that resonates deeply with a lot of the groups that you described, with anyone who's felt sort of marginalized. I think that that resonance is a part of what distinguishes between the people who are non-religious atheists who are just sort of, you know, yeah, we're against the silly superstitions of religion, but we have no particular need to attach ourselves to any symbolism. We're just, you know, what I'm going to call uh, stereotypical atheists. Um, but what distinguishes between that and people who want to, who actually have a draw to a set of symbols, because what Satanism is, is it is a religion, which means that it's not just a certain set of beliefs about, you know, the metaphysics of the universe and no afterlife, no, you know, angels or whatever. It's not just that. It is a, it is a deeply cultural thing, right? It is a, it yes. is a set of stories that we draw inspiration from. It is, a, it is a set of symbols. It is a sense of community, just like all religions are, really. And the draw of that particular community, that particular set of symbols for some people is what makes them think, and, and this is true of my story as well, because I started off as just identifying as a non-religious atheist. But it was over time as I learned about what Satanism was that I started recognizing the sort of resonance that I had with me and my personality and the way that I've sort of felt for a very long time, even without having that label. But it was touching on some of those key touchstones, right? Some of those things like identifying with the outsider, like having that bit of rebelliousness of wanting to, you know, look at any story from the other side's point of view. You know, hey, what if this Bible thing had been written by the other side? What would it sound like? How different would it be? And then, you know, there's the whole like, yeah, sure, a lot of Satanists had that whole heavy metal goth alternative thing going on. As you can tell, I am, you know, alternative as fuck. And uh, <laughs> so that joke might be lost on the listeners, by the way. I'm here, you know, in my um, very sort of business haircut and my button down shirt. So that was a little bit of irony with that. You are what charismatic Christians who I grew up with would call one of those undercover Satanists who infiltrates normie communities, <laughs> who looks perfectly normal, but is secretly a Satanist and will, you know, in, induct me into the, the secret gay Satanist cabal. Absolutely. No, I'm the, I'm the, and I'm the character, and I'm the character in the TV show where you, where it isn't re real that I am like, you know, a deeply evil Satanist until all of a sudden the light catches my eyes and they glow red or whatever, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And you know, I I'm actually that same Satanist. I'm I'm the uh, I'm the guy who who no one ever suspects. But you know, I'm I'm really bad at keeping secrets. And so it'll just <laughs> I've, when I joined the Satanic Temple, I was like, you know, this is just going to be you know a very personal thing. This and by the way, I'm I still consider myself a Christian. I call myself a non-theistic Christian or an esoteric Christian. And the Satanic Temple has been deeply helpful for me in sorting out my relationship to my own Christian upbringing. And and my relationship to my own Christian religion. You know, I'm I would probably be considered post-Christian by most people, but I still consider myself within the stream of Christian tradition. And uh, Satanism and the Satanic Temple has been so deeply helpful for me in sorting out that relationship with my faith. I can 
can understand that. And I think for people who are, you know, for people who have really delved into different aspects of Christianity and and different types of spirituality, I think it's it's interesting. You know, you do find those people who have written about being, um, you know, who call themselves agnostic Catholics or you know things like that, where they say, "Hey, you know, I was brought up." In this religious tradition, it's cultural for me. It's deeply personal, and I like the symbolism. But as I've learned more about the world, I no longer believe in, you know, ghosts or disembodied souls or God. But I still have a draw or a resonance with the Catholic or the Christian imagery and symbolism and that sense of wonder that one can get from it. And so, can't I find a way to be an agnostic Christian? And 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 I think for people who are familiar with that sort of diversity of ways of approaching Christianity, they might find it easier to also understand Satanism because there is a parallel yes. there. It is, you know, we also are atheistic, non-supernaturalist, but we are finding meaning and resonance and power behind a set of symbols. And for us, it isn't the symbolism of, you know, glory be and divinity and all of that. It's the symbolism of the rebellion of the angels, the individuality of the striking out and saying, you know, uh, all of those wonderful romantic era literary quotes, better to be, better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven, and all of that kind of cool rebellious stuff that resonates with, again, I'm going to say anyone who's drawn to that sort of outsider narrative. Absolutely. And, you know, I feel like being a member of the satanic temple makes me a better Christian in a weird way. I feel like I, I need this polarity. I need to kind of embody within myself the Baphomet, this image of the reconciliation of opposites. And when I, when I think people understand that my religion is primarily agnostic, non-theistic, that I can can then move between these different modalities. I can move between these different narratives. I can play with these narratives and find meaning in both, in the Christ story and in the Satan story, because to me they are stories. And I think actually that fluidity, that ability to move between those binaries is very good for me mentally. I think that is a, I think that's healthy for me. Yeah, I think that, I think that uh, there's something very, there's a lot of insight that I think can be gained by flipping any sort of narrative on its head. I mean, this is in the literary world, this is the, the postmodern uh, narrative, right? This is Tom Stoppard. Every exit is an entrance somewhere else. This is, you know, the reworking of uh, Beowulf into the novel Grendel telling the same story from the monstrous point of view. Exactly. Like, there's a great literary tradition behind this kind of thing exactly because of the way it gets you to just uh, reimagine uh, a story and realize that there are elements that you would never have appreciated only seeing it from one angle. Exactly. And and what it kind of proves, to me at least, is that these stories are fundamental in a lot of ways, but they but these archetypes are not absolute. You know, these archetypes can be interpreted in different ways. You're probably familiar with Jordan Peterson, who I, I just did an interview about Jordan Peterson with a guy named Doug Lane. And 
one of the things that came up is that Jordan Peterson and kind of this culture at large interprets like, and I just finished reading his fucking book and it was a nightmare, but I read the entire fucking thing because of an interview that I was preparing for. And I finished it today, thank God. But... (laughs) You know, in in that book, and I think Jordan Peterson speaks for a lot of people, he talks about the snake as the chaotic feminine encroaching upon Western society, and he puts it in such absolute terms, when the reality is that these stories are actually very malleable. They can be interpreted in a... In a vast variety of ways. And so I think what people have a hard time with is this idea that these biblical stories or the or the stories that Milton came up with, that these stories can be interpreted in another way. And I think people raised within Christian tradition have a very hard time with that concept. But the moment you step out of a belief in a literal personal God or an absolute belief, you know, if if you step more into agnosticism, suddenly you can start playing with these stories and you can start to find other nuances and you can like churn the gym. You can hold it up to the light and start churning it and seeing it from these different perspectives. So, I mean, we can talk about non-theistic religion all fucking day, and it's a passion of mine. It's something that I really want to talk more about on this show. For listeners who are interested, I did an entire episode called The Non-Theistic Option about my relationship with the non-theistic tradition or, or with non-theistic religion with Matt Langston. But let's go ahead and jump into the tenets of the temple. So we've talked about what you don't believe. You do not believe in the supernatural. You do not believe in God or the devil or heaven or hell. And you do not believe that Satan is a literal figure. But let's let so let's move into the positive aspects. Let's move into what you do believe. So how would you describe the seven tenets of the temple? What are they? The seven tenets are really guidelines for a way to approach life and a way to think about things and a way to frame, I guess, moral questions that you may come across. We call them tenets as a very deliberate and stark contrast to the notion of commandments, because they aren't commandments, because there's no one to command, remember. Um, But they're basic, I guess you could call them some ethical axioms, places to start your reasoning from. So I am, in fact, using the word axiom in the way that, you know, who knows, maybe the last time you heard it was in, you know, high school math or logic class, but it is, you know, the starting point for future reasoning, right? Yes. And uh, there were a few things built into them, uh, one calling them tenets instead of uh, commandments. But then also, as Satanists, we know and we like to acknowledge that there are you know, no absolutes in a lot of cases and that humanity is incredibly diverse and contextual and situated and often chaotic and colorful and complex, right? So uh, knowing that we can't look to the heavens for some rigidly defined absolute yes or no answer, uh, we wanted to make sure these axioms, these starting points for our ethical reasoning, aren't going to be things that are forcing people to be rigid or to be look at things in black and white absolute ways, because that's not the way 
any religion that's based on, you know, one of the fundamental beliefs is we are animals in a material world. There isn't some sort of higher plane to give us objective answers. We're creating it. Meaning doesn't come from the outside. It comes from us right now in the world. And if that's your sort of starting point from a metaphysical standpoint, then it makes sense that from an ethical standpoint, you need to have an ethical system that's taking into account the fact that meaning is something that we create in the moment. It's embodied. Ethics is embodied. People enjoy, especially newcomers to the Satanic Temple, like going on to the forum, which you mentioned earlier, and asking questions like, you know, which, which of the tenets do you think is most important? Although I kind of hate the question, and I have all kinds of reasons to object to even the asking of the question in principle, if I am forced to give an answer, then it would have to be um, the seventh one, the last one. And the seventh tenet is, every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Explain what that means for us. Yeah, I mean, um, well, I will tell you, I'll tell you what it means to me. Absolutely. And for me, I think that's not only sort of one of the most important ones, but it is something that really differentiates the tenets from your standard list of religious rules or, or whatever, is that, you know, we, it means that we know that things are ambiguous. There are times when any sort of set of rules is going to have one rule that conflicts with another. We see it in the Ten Commandments, we see it in the Constitution. Anytime there's been an attempt to have a list of inalienable this or absolute that, there are always cases where, well, you know, you sit around and it's like, hang on, there are situations where you have to violate either one or the other, and which one takes precedence, and then you get all of those wonderful, you know, Tumblr conversations. But, um, and, and I mean, that's the problem with the Bible, too, where, I mean, the Bible is such a huge, complex, impossible to reduce, strange book that it's inevitably going to contradict itself. And so what I find really powerful about this seventh tenet is that it it, it acknowledges the limitations of something like this. And that's really, really powerful to have that kind of baked into kind of the core document of a religion that, sorry, this is going, this is, this might be incomplete. That's very, very powerful. It might be incomplete and it might require you to do some work on your own and use your judgment to figure out in any given situation what the uh, correct application or interpretation of any of the other tenets might be. And you know what? It might not always be exactly the same in every situation because the world is complicated and chaotic and wonderful, right? That's where I think the, uh, I would say, is one of the key things that differentiates the seven tenets. And it's my favorite tenet for that, for that reason. Because you can go down any kind of rabbit hole and you can find a way of interpreting the tenet about about bodily autonomy and we have a tenet about bodily autonomy and we use it as a basis of some of our activism when it comes to uh women's reproductive rights and then there are always the people who be like well wait a minute 
Now, bodily autonomy, are you invading a child's bodily autonomy if you're deciding to give it a vaccine? But then there's the, also the other tenet <laughs> about science and, and blah, blah, blah. And you can get into those arguments, but whenever people like going down that rabbit hole, I'm just like, whoa, the seventh tenet is actually there for exactly this kind of thing. It's letting exactly. you know that, yes, these situations will arise, and it's not part of the problem is part of it's not a problem with the system it's sort of the way human life is and it's part of why satanism doesn't let you be as lazy as some of the other religions out there i'm saying that tongue-in-cheek by the way just in case some of your listeners might not and, realize and that. you know i really wish that my listeners could could see you because you're so <laughs> fun and you're so animated and expressive and it's fabulous. This is one of those times that I wish my podcast was also a YouTube channel. So here's what I'm thinking. We're, we're at the 37 minute mark. And so this could go on for another 40 minutes. I'm thinking of cutting it here and turning this into a two-parter. Uh, we can keep recording, but then I will just turn it into a two-week thing. Does that sound good? That sounds good to me. And one thing that I wanted to say before we wrapped this up, I've actually added the meditation on the seven tenets as part of my regular spiritual practice. I find it incredibly helpful. I find these seven tenets, and by spiritual, I mean like meditation. I do something very similar to like what, what you do in AA or, or, you know, what one would do in AA or I'm a, I'm I was in a 12-step recovery program for a long time and, you know, where they take a one of the steps and they read it and they meditate on it. And I'm no longer in the 12 steps, but I now do that with the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple because I find it such, I find it such an injection of sanity for me because I think that I am by nature prone to spiritualism and mysticism and... I'm very gullible. And a lot of that makes my life really wonderful and exciting. You know, it, it makes life awesome. I still spontaneously speak in tongues sometimes, even though I know that that is a neurological phenomenon. But it's just so deeply ingrained in me, it still comes out. And so I'm, I'm hardwired for this kind of stuff. And I find that the seven tenets of the satanic temple for me are such a wonderful injection of sanity. So we're actually going to, we're going to turn this into a two-parter. Uh, we're having a lot of fun talking about the satanic, the, the tenets of the satanic temple. And so Greg, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. I'm happy to be with you and I will look forward to continuing the conversation. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's the show for this week. Uh, if you enjoy my work and want to support it, please go to S bradfordlong.com where you can read my dozens of articles about faith and doubt and sexuality, LGBT issues, mental health, and whatever strikes my fancy. Also, if you want more shows like this one, please go to theologycorner.net. If you want a show about theology from a feminist perspective, check out Theosophia. She's a fabulous podcaster. She interviews female pastors from all different Christian traditions. If you want a show about Christianity 
and nerd culture, check out Min Max. Or if you want a show about the Desert Fathers from an Eastern Orthodox perspective, check out The Patristics. There are all kinds of fantastic shows on Theology Corner. Please go check them out. Also, before we head on out, I just have one favor to ask. If you enjoy this show, if you get value from this show, if you find yourself looking forward to it every week, please just take a moment to write a five-star review. That will help me widen my reach, and that will be very helpful wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right, the music is by The Jelly Rocks. The artwork is by Justin Caleb Bryant, and we will see you next week.